Hello, I'm Laura Furiosi, divorced mother of three, and I'm here with my mother, Lynette Galvin, with 35 years' experience in family law. You're listening to the Divorce Course Podcast. Through our candid discussions, we hope to help you through your divorce or de facto separation. We will be answering the most commonly asked questions and covering the stages and steps that you will face on your way to freedom. Are you about to go through a property settlement and you've got no idea what you're in for or have no idea how anything is figured out? Well, today we're doing a property settlement overview and what you need to consider moving forward or if you're in it. Welcome, Mum. Hello, Laura. Now, we usually talk about very niche, individual kind of situations, and we've done many episodes on contributions, before and after, all sorts of stuff. But I think it's a really good idea that we do an, an episode where we just kind of explain where you go in this step, in the steps, what are you looking at, and how is property undone? So, welcome, Mum. Thanks for coming along again to helping us un- all unpick what property settlement is. <laughs> Hello, Laura. Hi, everyone. Now, I know you've talked about this, and we do have a fair few episodes on this type of thing, but it is the main crust of crust. Is it crust? No, crux. Crux. It's the main crux of what really, apart from the children's issues, is what divorce property settlement is all about. So if you're there today and you have gone past those first stages, we do have an episode where if you're sitting on the couch going, what the heck am I going to do in those first stages? Go listen to that episode. This episode, and I'll put that in the show notes, but this episode is just so you can get your head around how they unpick your Property, property, your money, and and how at the end you walk away with money and how they decide that. Yeah, all the stuff that you've been building together uh, takes, you know, it's hard to think how you're going to break down. You've got a house with a mortgage maybe, you've got cars and all of that. So, yes, I want to do this big overview. Yes, and a lot of people say, oh, my property is really complicated. We've got four houses, you know, and a house. Business. Or, or we've got a trust or a business and we've got shares. But is that complicated? Look, it's it can be complicated, but it's not something we're unused to. I mean, the Family Law Act has been written, what, since 1976 they've been operating under it. Mm-hmm. And there were high court decisions on companies and trusts way back in the very first couple of years. So it is not impossible. I don't think I've ever met anything that can't be disassembled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we have the processes for that. So don't worry about that. The court is very used to it. And it's just, we know how to do it. And mm. we'll try and help you through now, the, the process. The first real hurdle I think people need to understand or get their head around is, do you just walk away with what you brought in? No, no, you don't. That's a, No, you don't. There are, shall we say, adjustments according to a number of things that the court takes into account. Okay. And we're going to go through some of that in Mm. in further episodes and in this episode as well. All right. So number one, you don't just walk away with what you brought in. No. Number two, if you were the main breadwinner, do you walk away with all the bread that you want? No. No? (laughs) All the bread you want. No. (laughs) No. No. So that's also shared? Yes. So it's... like I think in in the olden days, people would think, okay, well, if you didn't work and they worked, you were the stay-at-home mum or the stay-at-home dad. You didn't, you walk, if you left, you left with nothing. I, I think that might have been a position held by some old fuddy-duddies, mm. um, but yes. and But now with the Family Law Act, that's all changed. So that's so, not really the case? No, it? not at all. Great. All right. So we've got that out of the way. All right. So mum, so let's just pretend our listener today, they have a house, yep. they've got a mortgage, they've got two cars, and they've got some money in the bank. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when they are going to go and do a property settlement, first of all, what should they be doing? First of all, they need to remember they've got superannuation probably as ah, well. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Super, yes. So super is included it, in your it property. Is. It okay. is. So the first thing you've got to do is, is either agree a value for the house with your ex mm-hmm. or get it valued or or find some other mechanism to get to an agreed figure. And we've got great episode on house valuations. Mm. So yes, you can go listen to those. But yeah, so and get that. Yes. And then you need to find out what your super is worth and what his super or her super is worth. Mm-hmm. And if it's some of the odd sorts of superannuations, you might need to get a valuation. Okay. So find out how much your super is worth, get the house valued, find out how much that yep. is, know how much you owe on it, I guess. Of course, get a statement there, get into Red Book or something like that and get a, a figure for your cars. Okay. You can put in mileage, colours, model, all that. I don't think you can put in colours, <laughs> mileage, model and so forth. And it'll come up with a range of prices, a value if you sell it, if you trade it in and work out which figure you're going to rely on. Just measure both cars by the same kind of measurement. Okay. Yeah. So you've got your house so sorted. House, super. Cars sorted. Cars, money in the bank. Yep. That's easy. If you've got, if you've got debts, find out exactly how much you've got. And I know when you're in a happy relationship, one of you probably has a card and the other has a a card they use. Mm. And so find out for sure and certain whose name those cards are in and find out their balances. Okay. So and you're well on your way. So that's your first step, yeah. finding out pretty much, and that's called the property pool. It what, is. What what you've got, what you owe, and, you know, what, what's the money floating around, basically. Yep, that's right. Okay. So then once you've got all of that, and that can take some time, and that's the thing called disclosure, and we've yeah. got some great episodes on that, and DIY disclosure, how to do your own mm. disclosure, all that sort of thing. So once you've got that, how do they decide how to split it. Is it just 50-50? Well, it's you, you're, no. you're part of the marriage, I'm part of the marriage, so it's half? No. Okay. No. There's no actual rule that says it's 50-50 or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the court looks at contributions before the relationship, before after you started living together and after you've separated. So where that 50-50 sort of rough starting point, I mean, we we say there's no starting point at 50-50, but I think there really is. And I think Jen's case started to say, maybe we should start acknowledging that. So if one of you say owned the house and had a fair bit of equity beforehand, it might not be 50-50. It might be more like 70-30 in contributions. Okay. So before we go down that, you're saying that they look at before the marriage? Yep, contributions, yep. During the marriage but is not really looked at as no, much? No, the salaries don't count. A lot okay. of people think, oh, I, I earned this much extra a year, therefore I made a greater contribution. So wages are not a thing okay. that goes in. But if you've had inheritances or a car accident or some payouts or long service leave, pay, that, that that's included. counted as a contribution. And then yep. they look at after you separate Yep. what money you're bringing in or what you're contributing mm. after the marriage until that divorce. And then I guess the other question is when we were talking about the values, are they looking at the values of the house and the money, et cetera, of when when you separate or are they looking at the values of on the day that you go to mediation or court? I'm glad you asked that question because it's a common misconception yeah. that you try to lock in the separation date and then agree on the figures as of that date. But of course, that's not the way the court looks at it. And so if you do any settlement, any mediation, the figures are on that day, on the day you do the mediation, even if you've been five years getting into court. Mm. And uh, the leading case on that is Woodland and Todd, if you want to read that. So that the 
court just looks at the property as it is on the day you go before it. So with consent orders, you're adding up the figures as they are on that day. Mm-hmm. And even with the financial with the financial agreement, it's on the day you do it. All right. So we've jumped way ahead and gone to consent orders. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk about yep. them in a minute. So, all right. So you've got your values on the day that you walk in. And, and that's, I guess, the next bit we talk about because there's all different types of contributions. And we've got some episodes where we talk about all those things. But can you give us a run through of what kind of contributions are financial and what kind of contributions are non-financial? They divided into financial and non-financial contributions. And they also there is also a whole separate category called contribution as homemaker and parent that oh. the court looks at. But as during the relationship, um, if they're looking at financial contributions, it is, as I said, only those external things, not the wages, not the bread you win mm-hmm. to bring in. Uh, so those external things like an inheritance or a, a redundancy pay or something, they look at that. But that's to be measured against the contribution of the other person who is, during the relationship, also working you know, by caring for the children, that one person can go to work and make a higher right. uh, income. So, yeah. So, okay. And then you're saying they look at it. So, let's just oh. talk about that as well. Do you have to go to court to get a property settlement? No. So, you don't have to go to court. So, what 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 are the options? So, you've got your property pool and you guys, if you agree on a split and you've yes. seen a lawyer, then you can do like a consent order? Yes, you can. Yes. If you don't agree, then what do you do? Try for mediation. Okay. Yep. So, and we've got a lot of episodes on mediation oh as well. Yeah. But give us a quick nutshell. What is mediation? What happens in a mediation? Uh, well, in a mediation, uh, you must wait really until you've valued the property pool. Mm-hmm. You go in with your uh, property pool and your arguments about your contributions that you've made during the relationship. And uh, you might have renovated the house or something during the time. Uh, you go in with those arguments and also your arguments about future needs. So you take in your bright, shiny case, mm-hmm. the other people bring in their shiny case, and a mediator talks to each of you, sometimes in separate rooms, to work out what it is you really want, to get you to make an offer that may or may not be accepted, and they basically shuttle offers back and forwards during the day, helping people to see clearly what the costs of court will be and encouraging people to settle. So the aim of the mediation is if you can't agree without it, you go in and you get a third person to come and try and help you come to an agreement. And I guess in a mediation, then it must mean you've got to have some compromise, I guess. I guess so. Well, be prepared. Like I said, your bright, shiny case that you say, I think I think I can get 70%. That usually means you might get 70% on a day if you are really good in the witness box if their barrister's not very good at getting information out of you. Just or something is said, something comes up, and suddenly your case drops, and you're only going to get sixty percent or something. So yeah, I think you do have to a little way be prepared to compromise. Another good use of mediation is if you agree on percentages and stuff, and there's just one thing that you can't get your head around, mm-hmm. uh, you can go in to mediate on that one point. Right. So you don't have to go and mediate everything. You can just go and mediate on that point. Mm. And then your other option, I guess, is negotiation by legal letter or trial. Or arbitration. Or arbitration. You might agree to arbitration, particularly if there is like it, it, particularly if it's a pretty standard 
arrangement that we've all got. You know, if we're lucky enough to have a house, the car, the cash and super, and you you have one small element that you just can't agree on, you might ask someone to arbitrate. And the arbitrators in Australia are often former judges, barristers, senior solicitors who can make a decision for you. And they look at the facts on paper. They don't go to a trial and they just come up with the decision for you and send it out. Well, you do take oral submissions as an arbitrator, but you don't have to be questioned and cross-examined. So. Okay. All right. So you've got an arbitration as the option, you've got mediation, and you've also got... Solicitor's letters. Solicitor's letters. And then you can also, the the big place mm. that everyone thinks you end up is in court. Yeah. So you don't have to go to court. You can hopefully no. get it sorted in mediation. And most people do, Mum? I think mediation is overall more successful than not, Mm -hmm. but you shouldn't be confident going into a mediation because you might not settle. Are you convincing the mediator of your points and saying your contributions and this is why you should get 70% or are you convincing your ex? Well, there you go. So as I... If I go as a solicitor, I focus on convincing the other solicitor Mm -hmm. that I'm right. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that helps them give proper advice to their client if I'm right. Mm -hmm. And the mediator... Not so much. I mean, they are neutral in a, in an ideal world. They're quite neutral. They don't much care about who said this and who did that with the Tupperware. What they want is to find the middle ground. So they'll quite dispassionately ask you for your story and then they ask the other person for their story. They work out what's agreed and where you're apart, they might propose compromises or longer time to pay or something like that. So, okay. All right. So you go through some sort of process and if you come out of a mediation with an agreement, then you can get consent orders, Mm -hmm. which doesn't involve the court, but then makes it what? It sort of involves the court, yes. Tell us how consent orders are made. Let's say you've gone, you've been, had properties valued, you've been to mediation, you've agreed how it's going to go, what it's going to look like. Who's going to get what. Who gets what if you're going to get the house and take over the mortgage or whatever, all that. So you go then, you you say, okay, how do I, so now you have to make it into an order that can be acted upon. Uh, now, one way to do it is by a consent order, which is that you put an application into the court, much like you would if you were going to be fighting over everything, going to trial. You put an application in, it's a different form, and instead of asking for the court to set down a date, what you da- what you both say is, we both agree on these orders that are attached, and we would like the court to make these orders. Right. And then a registrar will look over the orders. And if they are fair or, as the court says, just and equitable, then the court will make the orders and they will be of the same effect as if you'd had a three-day trial and spent, you know, $100,000 getting there. Right. So you've got that as one option, Mm. consent orders. And you can even get consent orders without mediation if you both agree from the get-go. A lot of people do it right away, yes. Right. And don't forget financial agreements. Yes. So that's another thing. A financial agreement is is another option people can take. Yes. After mediation or before mediation. Whenever they agree. Okay, so what's a financial agreement? Well, it's like the consent orders. You put down everything, who's going to get what and who's going to do what. But the difference is that you don't put that in the court. The court doesn't get to say that's fair or no, that's not fair. You'll have to rethink it. Instead, it says this is instead of ever any court proceedings ever about us, we're doing this our way. And then you can put things in your 
your financial agreement that a judge or a registrar wouldn't approve in mm. the family court. Like you can make sure is money going to be paid to a third party and put that in there. You could have third parties as parties to the agreement. Mm. So it's a, a way of not have, not having to work within the strictures of the court. And in the early days, I often thought they were usually requested by someone who was getting a better deal than they otherwise should. So, but nowadays, I think it just saves you having to go through the court. So I'm getting a lot of messages via Instagram and some mm. of our webinars where, uh, by the way, you can definitely sign up to do a webinar if you like. Oh, you do can that. come along. Yes. And um, go to our website, www.thedivorcecourse.com.au and click on the free resources and then sign up for a free webinar. Mm. But what, I, what I've noticed uh, some people are saying, and I, I'm just wondering the difference between consent orders and financial agreement. Mm. If the other side doesn't follow through with doing something, yes. say you agree that you sell the house and they give you that money, mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. and in the financial agreement they don't do it, and in the consent order they don't do it, how do you enforce it through a consent order and how do you enforce it through a financial agreement? You're allowed to go to court for a financial agreement enforcement. Okay. So the processes aren't much different. Right. Uh, So they have enforcement proceedings, oddly, Mm -hmm. uh, where they can make orders that a person give evidence about their financial circumstances. The court may make different orders Mm -hmm. if they're not, the orders are no longer fair Mm -hmm. or they're impossible to to do. So there's still accountability for both. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yes. Okay. All right. So our listener, they've got their property pool, they've got their valuations, they've been to mediation, they've tried to come up with an agreement on a percentage, but it hasn't worked. And then they still desperately wanted to get all of this sorted. Mm. Mm. They don't want to do arbitration. What is the next step? Well, keep trying. Mm -hmm. Have a good hard look at what 10% or 20% means in dollar terms. So with your property pool, add it all up. And sometimes you'll find that uh, if it's a million-dollar property pool, 10% is $100,000. If you go to trial, you're going to spend between you, I would have thought, $100,000 easily. Whoa. So... Why stick in the mud on that 20% or 10% mm. and try to find some middle ground? So, so I guess in a nutshell, what I'm saying to our listeners is don't get hung up on the percentages. Look at what it means to you in dollars yeah. and make that transition. Sometimes The things you can negotiate on that people sometimes forget mm. is, is time. You can, if you want to give, if you're the one giving cash to the other side, for instance, and you know you'll get that money quite quickly, and they're standing their ground for 25,000, you might be able to, and you only want to get 20. I mean, that the obvious answer there is 22 and a half, but let's say people are stuck on their 25 and 20. You might be able to say, if you're in the position to do so, well, I'll pay you that 20,000, but I'll do it within seven days. And the other person will go, oh, that's handy. I'll have that. You know, it's worth giving. So you've got a lot of things to negotiate on. You might have issues. You might know your, your ex loves super. <laughs> Mm. And you might say, okay, why don't you keep more of your super? I get a little more cash so I can buy a house and that's win-win. So again, I think that's really important when we talk about percentages and I think mm. we should do a whole episode on this, Mum. That thought in people's head is I want 50-50 of the property pool, it's only fair, or I want 70. But what you're saying is there's 
there's so many other ways of looking at the property yes. pool, dividing yeah. it up where, you know, if, for example, someone gets an inheritance from their p- passed on parents, mm-hmm. the last thing they want to do is share that with their horrible mm-hmm. ex. So one way to negotiate would be say, you keep all the inheritance, I'll just get extra super. Yes. That kind of way of thinking. That's right. And also you might have a situation, imagine, imagine this imaginary couple, right? They were apart and couldn't bridge that gap. You're invited to our free webinar. Whether you're stuck at the beginning of deciding to divorce or you're struggling to find your way through the legal jargon and fear of the unknown of the legal process, we are here to empower you to take control. Join us to learn what steps you can take followed by a live Q&A where you get Lynn, my amazing mum and family law accredited specialist to answer your questions. All you have to do is go to www.thedivorcecourse.com.au and click on reserve my seat. We'll see you there. Hurry, spaces are limited, so don't miss out. Register today. Imagine imagine this imaginary couple, right? They were $5,000 apart and couldn't bridge that gap. Yeah. And that was, say, a year ago. Mm -hmm. Coming up to trial now, and guess what? House prices have gone through the ceiling. Mm. And so the both of them, each of them is going to have trouble buying a house, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, had they bought a house, had they settled and the so the mother had bought a house straight then, she would already have capital gain. Mm. But instead, it's sort of locked in. You'd update your valuations, but it, there's a lot of lost opportunity okay. in going to trial. So, so yeah. consider that first before you go to trial. Many people do more than one mediation? They do. Um, look, I've had one yesterday. It was about six times, I think. They said, I think that's probably fair enough. It's not going to work. Mm. Um, but, you know, don't give up. And that's what we have in our course, don't yeah. we? We yeah. talk about ways to keep keep the negotiation rolling because you can get so fed up you can get very entrenched in your position you can have all of the reasons in the world Um, because 50 50 seems fair when you were kids at preschool 50 50 you had half each otherwise it wasn't fair it's one of the first concepts we learn yeah in sharing in sharing that's right and 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 yet there has to be sort of a sense of commercial reality about it. Yeah. And you have to really think about what it really means. Mm-hmm. You know, the smaller the property pool, the smaller the 10% is, yeah. you know. So, all right. So, and then if they end up going to court, we've got a, a, a lovely episode. Well, it's not lovely, but it's called <laughs> The Court Conveyor Belt Revisited. And we talk you through the exact step-by-steps, what yes. happens in court. So we're not going to go into that today. But mum, how long, just roughly, so it's because this is an overview, if they've tried mediation and it's failed from filing that application in court to start proceedings for, for a trial to get your outcome, hmm. how long does that usually take? Well, in our earlier episodes that we did a couple of years ago, I would have said three years. Mm-hmm. Now it's a year or less. Okay. So that's really good. It's okay. costing people a little bit more up front, more documents you've got to put in up front, but it saves them getting caught in an absolute treadmill. I hate to say it, but a year still sounds like a terrible long time to wait, but <laughs> that is a lot of work to do in the meantime, a lot of paperwork well, and that's a lot right. of forms. And-, and, and the court's not unrealistic. Like mm-hmm. they know families waiting a year is having you in limbo. So if, for instance, you've both agreed the house will have to be sold. Uh, you can agree and sell the house. Mm-hmm. You can put the proceeds you're arguing over, 
in a trust account so it's ready to go. So you don't have to wait till you've got a court outcome. If you both agree on selling the mm. house, then you can sell the house and put that money away somewhere yeah. in a trust. And let's say the you leave it in your solicitor's trust account or the conveyance's trust account. And let's say it's, say, $600,000 and you need to get a bond and rent and so forth. You and your ex-partner might agree how about we each take $100,000? That's mm -hmm. not more than we're entitled to. And we can use that to set ourselves up in the meantime. And tons of people do that. Okay. Pro partial property distribution. So before we keep going, it's important to note that this is just general education only. Oh, it is. Yep. So it's general education only. So you don't need, uh, so please don't make any actions based on what you hear today. You must always go and see a lawyer as every situation is different. And mum, we always say, go and see a lawyer. We do, even in our course. You don't have Two to. Two times. You've you got don't, to see a lawyer at yeah, least. You don't have to go to a lawyer and then sign them up forever. Uh, no. But you need to know where you stand. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So, so your particular circumstances can can be applied to these sort of scenarios and to the law. Yeah. So they've gone about a year later, mm. the the judge makes a decision, a ruling. Yes. And then Instead of consent orders, what do these people get? They get orders. Just orders? They look the same, okay. except it doesn't say by consent. Okay. <laughs> but be careful. It's not necessarily over at that point. Oh. Because if one person is really particularly unhappy with the orders mm -hmm. and they can find some grounds, legal grounds, they may appeal. Right. And appeal orders. is kind of asking for a second opinion. Yep. Well, it is. It's, it's, it's going up to a higher court to say what they did down there was wrong. Could you fix it for me? Right. Mm -hmm. And how often does that happen? Oh, probably, I don't know. Off the top of my head, like in my experience, it'd be less than 5% of okay. cases. All right. Because you have to have the judge has to have actually been wrong at law. Okay. Uh, for the prop, for person to appeal. And I mean, those guys and women are doing it all day long. They seldom really make that. A mistake. Do you have to go through another trial? Mm, it's on the papers. You don't have to give evidence. Right. They just, the, it costs a lot. The uh, judges on the appeal, whether it's the full bench, which could be three judges, or a s single judge, if it's, you know, if that's warranted, they will have transcripts of every day's stuff. They'll have all the orders, all of the court documents. And it's, a, and then you all go in on a particular day and make oral submissions based on your case and then they will either give you a decision then and there or they'll go away and come back and give you a decision or you'll receive one in a couple of weeks. Well, hopefully none of you get to go through that and no. hopefully all of you come to a like a joint uh, agreement even before mediation. But yeah. but that let's talk now, Mum, and we we usually at the end of most of our episodes talk about the four personality yes. types of divorce because I think that can affect the way of your kind of property negotiation settlement journey. So you've got uh, amicable, and we always talk about amicable divorces, personality type, and that is that, you know, you That's get along the dream. fine. Yep. You, you, you're still kind of friends. You, you've accepted that you're breaking up and you're moving on, but you just want to do this so it's fair. So most amicable, yep. do they end up in mediation? I don't. I don't think so. I only see them if they want the, or I used to see them in my practice when they want to put it in writing, right. get the consent orders done. Right. Yep. So an amicable person, they could, they still should go see a lawyer. And it, if they both yep. agree, go and see a lawyer and get it, the lawyers to write it up. No, if they both agree, one of you goes to see a lawyer yep. and that lawyer will be your lawyer for the yes. purpose of drafting the documents and giving advice. And if it's a consent order, your ex may or may not go to a lawyer. That's up to them. But you should definitely see a lawyer before you sign anything. You guys should. Yeah. 
doesn't matter if the other side doesn't. Right. <laughs> but they should. They really should. Well, we, we normally would write in the letter, you should get legal advice. If they've decided, if they've got that far without it, they probably won't. Right. But I like to sort of put that disclaimer in. Okay. Uh, but then that either they sign it or their lawyers signs it, sends it back to you, your your people sign it, you sign it. And, that kind, it and what kind of things are in a consent order for property? Okay. So it will usually start off with the house. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it might be something like that. Mary, that John will transfer the house to Mary. I'm paraphrasing here, and in return, Mary will give him one hundred thousand uh, dollars. Number two might be so that might be a number of words, but the second thing might be they each keep the car in their possession, mm-hmm. or Mary keeps the family car, Toyota, whatever, and and leave it at that. There might not be two cars. Superannuation. There are complicated orders for superannuation, but the, the gist of it is you have to have let the super fund know what orders you're planning and get their okay. Mm-hmm. Called, that's called, called procedural fairness. Um, and then the, it could say either that you each keep your own super or that, say, uh, Mary has to give ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 of her super to John and there are provisions for that to happen. And then what else do we have? Debts. We'd say um, who's going to be liable for credit card debts or we might say that, that yeah, we'd say in that case who's liable for uh, the credit card debts. Why I hesitated, Laura, was if one of you isn't buying the house, if you're selling it, mm. then the best thing to do is pay off debts once you get the money in for the house and give you all a clean slate, yeah. um, unless uh, you actually need as much money as you can to get a deposit on a, a place of your own, mm. and in which case you don't want to cut up your credit card. Which is a really good idea then before you agree to anything to see a financial planner yes. and say, hey, this is what the property pool is, this is what I'm likely to get, what should I be asking for? Because my goal in the future is to get a house or my goal in the future is to live and retire by 60. Yeah. You know? So really right. yeah. make sure that... You're not just thinking about that laser focus of how much percent I'm going to get. You also need to be thinking about what type of things do I want and what type of money asset do I want because how am I going to live in the future? That's right. And you could frame your case in different ways. You could approach mediation in many different ways. Uh, But if the client can give you a clear goalpost, Mm -hmm. then we know what we're working towards. And every time there's a decision to be made that might take you a bit closer to your aim, Mm -hmm. we take that one. So it might be in Mary and John's case, if they couldn't, couldn't keep the house, they sell it and Mary might give John, you know, a $100,000 $100,000 of her super, and in return, she gets more of the cash from the house Got because it. John might have a higher salary and he can refinance mm. and she needs a bigger deposit. So for those of you that are really interested in keeping the house, because we know a lot of you are, mm. we've got an episode called I Really, Really Want to Keep the House, and we also have another episode called Out of I- Out of box ideas on how to keep the house. So they'd be really helpful yes, for you if be. you do, if that's your goal. Now, mum, what about avoidance? So what about those people that have an avoidant person, divorce personality where their ex just sticks their head in the sand, they don't read legal letters, they don't even want to accept that they're divorced or separated or they're going through property settlement. What kind of property settlement journey do those people usually have? The avoidant person gets basically dragged through right. and if they don't turn up, the, the wheels will turn without them. Right. So, And the person who like the partner of a person who's avoidant can still ultimately get a property settlement right? Um, one way or another. And then we did an episode on how to divorce a statue and yeah. we basically talked through the process of, it, like, for example, 
if your ex just completely disappears mm. and you've got all this stuff and you're like, I don't know what to do and you can't even locate them, they yeah. don't even know their art, so the court has a process for that. That's right, they do, okay. they do. So go check yes. that at episode all, There's well. always default orders and ex parte orders, so orders when there's no one there, mm-hmm. default orders when you filed your material and the other party having known about you have to make sure they know about it mm-hmm. and they know the court date. But if they don't turn up, judge will pretty well give you the orders you want as long as you tell them what's there. And you've talked about if they're missing, they have that process where you have to put it in the newspaper. Yes. So Published in the newspaper in the last area they were seen. So I would say people with an avoidant ex, particularly if they're ones that just don't even, they don't even know where they are anymore, mediation is probably not the road they're going to go down. No, I don't think, well, you've got to try yeah. because the practice management directions tell you but you've got to try. But their journey will probably include court. Yes. Yeah. But but it might not include cross-examination and all the icky bits. Good. So, yeah, so I wouldn't waste, if you de- wouldn't waste too much time trying to find a person who's not around mm-hmm. uh, because you're left holding the baby the debts. and the mess yeah. and you're unable to do anything because it's in both names. I know I know of a case where someone disappeared into the Northern Territory and they had a, a variable interest loan mm-hmm. on the house and the mortgage and she wanted to fix it. Mm-hmm because interest rates were going up and we couldn't track him down mm. and the court wouldn't let her do it on, uh, not the court, the bank wouldn't let her do it on her own, but the court allowed her to. Okay. Mm. All right. So then we've got manipulative and controlling. Ah. So what kind of journey do they have with the manipulative controlling? So they're the ones that basically don't want to let the, the other person go. They don't want a divorce to happen They and they want to manipulate the money and manipulate the property pool. Do you think sometimes they don't want the divorce to happen? I think they pretend they 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 may have already been the ones who left mm. manipulative and controlling people, but they're very good at forgetting that, and then you're to blame for everything. So mm. yes, but so what kind of things can people our listener Expect. who's got a manipulative, controlling, yeah. narcissistic type ex? Uh, well, you'll have to probably do a little more work in getting documents uh, because they may not disclose documents to you. But there's heaps of ways of searching to find out what what there is in their name and what land they've got in their name. Mm-hmm. If you've got a manipulative and controlling person, they may well find a lawyer who matches them. Mm. <laughs> they may come to every hearing with a barrister. Uh, they may um, load you up with legal documents, like tons and tons and tons of legal cases, but the practice management directions now are stopping that. You, you have to have a good reason to bring a second interim application. And and they're just not going to agree on anything reasonable. They're going to minimise what you did. Oh, she never did anything. I always call it the fat bum argument. Great. <laughs> she sat on her fat mom. bum. <laughs> yeah, but that that can be man or woman, but that's yeah. the argument they use. It, it, and then you've then those people that are listening today with the manipulative control and it's have to argue and no, so, I did my fair share. Yeah. And, and in fact, that person wasn't around. I'm the one who did all the work. So these people need a lot of evidence. Yep, in writing. In writing. So um, Photos. our documentation episode is great for you guys and also the Narcissist Playbook and Divorce. Yes, that's right. And do your own disclosure episode. Yes, and you wouldn't believe, Laura, this is the type, these sort of people are the ones who will argue the date that you started living together. Mm. They'll do everything except argue the marriage date because that's in writing. And they'll argue about when you separated. And it's just, you can't believe my my poor clients, when when something would come in from the other side like that, they go, I don't even know what to say. That 
that's such a lie. Mm. And I said, well, go and find your documents, go and find your photos, whatever it is you've got, Facebook posts to prove that that's a lie. Okay. Mm. So I'm not convincing them because the manipulative and controlling person knows blooming well it's a lie. Yeah. But we need to get their lawyer to not take their client's evidence at face value. What about high conflict? Yep, they just fight everything you know, values. So in a high conflict property arena, yeah. trying to sort out property, again, it's more documentation. It is. And but, values. Yeah. And don't waste too much time in negotiation with the high conflict. Get Ask for mediation, list the mediators so they can choose one, move it into mediation sphere. They may not settle high conflict people or you know, maybe the mediator can make them see sense. If they don't settle, uh, then try for arbitration. They're not going to accept that. And then you might want to get the in the door of the court and let the reality of of going ahead sink sink through. And maybe the, they'll change so they yeah, don't have to. And go a to lot court. of them at at some point, uh, when they see they're really not going to win, will. You know, they, they might be high conflict, but they don't want to lose. Mm. So when they really get pushed to the wall, you'll settle it. I've never seen anyone, anyone who didn't have a property settlement that wanted one. Okay. Or who didn't want one. All right. Yeah. Okay. So we've got those different personality types and we've got tons and tons of episodes that mm. you can listen to that will hopefully help you find your way through that journey. But I thought this would be a good idea, mum, just to have a overview again. So people who are coming into this for the first time, yeah. if they have no understanding what's going on, this episode is great for you guys. But again, we understand you know, it is very overwhelming. It's very stressful. And the last things you really want to be thinking about is all this sort of stuff. But mm. if you can at least be aware of the type of person that you're going to be negotiating yes. with yep. and then be aware of what your property pool is, you're halfway there. You are. You are. Honestly, you're halfway there. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mum, for your time. Good luck and to everyone. Everybody, please check the show notes. If you, if we've mentioned an episode and you can't find it in the show notes, just send us a DM on Instagram or Facebook yep. or any of those other places and I'll send you a link. And if you're struggling, yeah, uh, you can ring Lifeline. Yes, or, on or 13 11 14 or you can ring 1-800-RESPECT if you're in some sort of coercive control situation. Or d- domestic violence at yes. all. Yep. Yep. And of course, if you're in danger, always ring triple zero. But thank you again, Mum, for your time. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. If you found this podcast helpful, we'd love it if you could rate, review and subscribe. By doing so, you are spreading the word to help someone else just like you. Lynn would like to remind you that this podcast is general advice only and you should always get legal advice in relation to your particular situation. And remember that the Australian laws may have changed since recording.